I, I don't think he'll win another election, but if he does, it won't make him any less sad because he won't have won it on his terms. He won't be doing the things he wanted to do. Is it on? Look, I'm going to uh, shirt front, Mr Putin. I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. No, 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 no. It's on. No, wait. Is it on? Uh, you bet you are. Uh, you bet I am. I don't like it. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Well, may we say God save the Queen. Because nothing will save the Governor-General. Hello and welcome to episode two of BuzzFeed, Australia's political podcast out of Parliament House in Canberra. My name is Alice Workman. Across from me, once again, Mark DiStefano. Welcome to episode two, mate. We got there. <laughs> no one thought we would. <laughs> Nobody thought we would and our bosses have said, no, it's a great idea. Keep doing the podcast. And Mark, this week we got a stellar review <laughs> From a very unlikely place. This review from 82-year-old Beverly. It's made my week. This is how it read. Hello, I thought the podcast was interesting and would be good for anybody who hasn't listened to the radio or watched news shows. It covered all the issues that I had previously either read in the SMH or heard on Radio National in brackets RN. And I thought the two broadcasters were fair and reasonable. Seemed pretty authentic. I've signed up to get them weekly. Thank you so much no, for that. Beverly, that, that really made my week. That did make our week. It and, was delightful. And Beverly, we've got an amazing show for you this week. Uh, last week, we got to talk to Julie Bishop, the foreign minister. Um, Alice, who did you wrangle for our second episode? You won't believe it, Mark. I went with Julie Bishop's counterpart, <laughs> Penny Wong. How creative. Penny Wong, who is the shadow foreign minister, the leader of opposition business in the Senate. Um, and one of the most high-profile LGBT politicians in Australia. Yeah, I would say so. And uh, when it came to the second interview this week, I am so excited for everyone to hear our chat with the probably the most experienced journalist in Australia when it comes Your to Australian hero. politics. My hero, Channel 9 political editor Laurie Oakes, and that will be coming up later in the show. But first, Mark... Let's talk about the political news from the week. And Let's. I want to start with a story we talked about at the end of the podcast, which is the government's giant omnibus bill. It's a bill of 16 different measures where there are cuts to paid parental leave, child care, family benefits tax, and also the bill that would make young people have to wait four weeks before they get the doll. Mm. Well, this week, the government said these $3 billion worth of changes, we're going to tie them to the funding of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, also known as the NDIS. Which is super sneaky because it was sending the signal to Nick Xenophon uh, in the Senate saying that if you don't vote for this welfare omnibus bill, we're not going to fully fund the National Disability Insurance Scheme, which obviously pissed off um, disability advocates and quite a few people, especially on the side of Labor, who have been arguing for a long, 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 long time that they fully funded the NDIS. That is a completely different story, which we don't have enough time to even cover. So the Nick Xenophon team doubled down and said, we don't like this one little bit and you can rack off. <laughs> And we will not be supporting <laughs> these measures stuffed. in the Senate. So now instead of the Nick Xenophon team maybe supporting some of the omnibus, they're supporting none of it. But Mark, more importantly, you spent most of the week stalking the Australia's far-right party, One Nation, around Parliament House That's, this week. Stalking is a, is, a, is a hard word. Is it? It makes me sound like a creep. You did follow them around for 11 hours though, didn't you? That's right. So One Nation, <laughs> who... Um, 
uh, really on the rise in Australia, especially when it comes to the WA election. That is on March 11. Um, WA people will go to the polls. And in WA earlier this week, the Liberal Party decided very controversially to preference the Liberals on their how-to-vote cards. Huge decision. It will mean that quite a few more One Nation candidates will get into the parliament. Um, But interestingly, with the preference deal really quickly, to explain it to people that might not realise, the Liberals have preferenced One Nation over the Nationals, who are the people that when we talk about the coalition federal government, we mean the Liberal National Government. So in WA... Do the Liberals not like the Nationals? Do they prefer One Nation? Exactly. It's it's created a, a massive can of worms for uh, the Liberal Party around Australia. And the reason why I decided to follow around Malcolm Roberts, the <laughs> Senator for One Nation, is because we had Michelle Myers, a candidate in WA, launch what could only be said for most the most berserk story of Australian politics this week. Hit when, me. Hit me. When, <laughs> uh, you say berserk. I'm not convinced, but hit me, Mark. Are you ready? All right. Okay. So this is a Facebook post she wrote last year where she suggested the LGBT community in Australia were mind-controlling others into basically saying that they support gay marriage using techniques that were used by Nazi Germany and Soviet Russia. Whoa, 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 whoa. Gay people are using Nazi mind control to convince people to vote to be in favour of same-sex marriage? Is it's, that... It's wild. It's wild. <laughs> it is it, spicy. It's spicy. <laughs> and, and the reason why uh, the reason why it's such a big deal is because people like Michelle Myers might be getting into the WA Parliament. So I went along to um, One Nation Senator Malcolm Roberts's destruction of the United Nations night in Parliament House, where we decided to get in quite a spicy uh, Twitter back and forth. And you then... Go to Mark's Twitter account, at Mark DeSteff. It is worth a read. And then, in the morning after, um, I decided to confront him at a press conference. And what did he have to say? Well, here's the audio. Uh, Senator, can I just ask about your um, your candidate in WA for the seat of Bateman? It's made it pretty clear on Facebook that she's got some anti-gay views. She's sort of talked about uh, Nazi mind control techniques. One Nation hasn't said anything, hasn't distanced itself from this sort of stuff. I don't make comments on something I haven't heard. I'm not going to rely upon your interpretation of comments. I honestly have not seen it. We had a very busy day getting through legislation on the ABCC to reduce the transition from two years down to, to nine months. That was extremely important because the taxpayers uh, are funding 30% higher costs than should be the case for, for building. They're the kinds of issues we're into. But this is also, you're getting preferences in the Liberal Party preferences. You're going to win a lot of seats probably in WA. I think so? Well, I I think that the polling suggests that. What I'm suggesting, though, is that this is one of the biggest stories in WA at the moment. You've got a candidate who has some pretty fringe views. Um, According to who? Well, I'm asking you if you you believe that they're fringe. I've just said that I don't know uh, what she said. Was well, she I, 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 she, Michelle Myers, I can, I can show you on my phone if you'd like the Facebook, the Facebook I, status. I want to see the context. I'd want to go and, and learn about that. But before. isn't this something that One Nation should be on top of? That one of your candidates has been criticised in the WA media about this stuff? Hey, I'm a, I'm a senator for Queensland. I represent the people of Queensland. They're my constituents. So, Mark, if I understood the senator correctly, 
He hasn't seen the reports, so therefore they're not true. That's right. One Nation do not trust the media (laughs) and think that BuzzFeed is hashtag fake news. Fake news. And even when I decided to say, look, I'll show you it on my phone, he said, I need to see all the context. So (gasps) He didn't want to see the empirical evidence? The empirical evidence with an E, Alice, with an E. With an E. And we have ended the week still not knowing whether all of these really, really, really weird One Nation candidates are going to continue to get the support of One Nation because they're trying to tell everyone that they're this, you know, normal party. But I'm not sure about gay Nazi mind control myself. Mark, we could talk about One Nation for literally hours. Yeah, let's not. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) we will go straight into your chat with uh, Labor's Penny Wong. Penny Wong, welcome to BuzzFeed's podcast. Good to be with you. Oh, good to have you in my office. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, First up, I just want to double check... Nazi mind control, are you going to be using that during this interview? or uh, No, I've never found that to be one of, you know, the gifts that I've been given. <laughs> well, speaking of gifts, we've brought a gift for you today. It is a uh, rainbow cake, there you go. which Lane might be able to help me open. Well, up. it really is a rainbow cake. It's a rainbow cake. That is um, a very impressive use of food colouring. To celebrate the Senate this week handing down a report into same-sex marriage, which... Uh, let's be honest, was effectively meaningless. So here's a piece of cake for you. Oh, ye of little faith. To talk about the report, it's a report on what a bill might look like and there's nothing in there that has effectively going to push the cause along in the foreseeable future. Is that an accurate summary of of what's happened this week? Uh, I think that's in our hands. And look, I get uh, why people are impatient. I'm pretty impatient too. But the reality is... Uh, we have to work out how we uh, bring people together to support a, a cross-party bill or to support marriage equality. Uh, and we've had a debate where we've um, there's been a lot of finger-pointing, a lot of acrimony, and it, we, we, we know uh, that we will only get marriage equality in this parliament if people from all parties are prepared to work together. So I thought it was actually a very important report because you had people with quite different views, uh, people who oppose marriage equality uh, and those who have different views about the extent of uh, objections and uh, carve-outs who said, look, we can agree, were a bill to proceed, that it should have this form. Uh, And really, I think it's the first time in this debate uh, that we've seen that kind of cross-party cooperation. Were you surprised that the person that was the chair of the committee that handed down the report is anti-same-sex marriage. So were you surprised there was collegiality between both sides? Oh, no, I was really pleased. Uh, I was really pleased because um, we we do have to engage with all sides of the debate if we're going to get cross-party support. I don't agree with David's position, uh, but uh, I think having uh, someone who is... Uh, Opposed, who is opposed to marriage equality, being prepared to engage on what a bill would look like. That that is an important and constructive step. And my view is they've kind of the Fawcett Committee sort of shown us, uh, uh, given us an example of of uh, given us an opportunity. So I, I think the report is an opportunity to so so go back to where we started. 
where you said, no, it doesn't, what did you say? Meaningless. I said, well, it, it was meaningless. significant, <laughs> but also not significant. I don't know. Did you even qualify it? I think, anyway, <laughs> well, I'm sure someone can go back to the beginning of the podcast and check, but I, I think that's up to us. Mm. All right? It's up to us. You, you said in your speech this week that there were parts that you didn't agree with. What parts were they? Well, obviously, I mean, I'm, um, I, I would, I would have uh, probably a view about much narrower exemptions than some other people who who would look at that bill. So the exemptions with religion in terms of the sure, but the but but uh, I, I accept that those are matters of judgment, and 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 you know what what I would like to see is the capacity for people uh, to work together to bring a bill to the floor of the parliament. Uh, of course, it will only pass if there's a free vote on the other side. Mm. So you were happy that they took out the provision for businesses to discriminate? Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of talked about this um, previously and um, I just always thought that was a bit of a, a red herring in the debate. Mm. So it just seemed to me the sort of the butcher baker, the baker, the candlestick maker argument. Well, first, I think the market probably will sort that out. Like if we know that there's somebody who really doesn't like... Um, so, you know, gay people, we're probably not going to go and try and get a cake off them, are we? Mm. That's the first point. But the second is if people are out there offering products on the market, my, my view is we wouldn't accept them deciding on the basis of race that they didn't want to sell someone a cake. Well, that's illegal discrimination, isn't it? Correct. Um, I just wanted to see how you felt this weekend on Saturday, which was the day the plebiscite was meant to be held. How did, how did you feel on Saturday? Did you feel a bit sad that we weren't having a plebiscite? Okay, am I allowed to be honest here? Absolutely. I didn't actually notice the date. Oh, <laughs> it went by just like any other Well, any other I, I've been away Saturday. for a fair bit and I'd sort of uh, come home and I, uh, you know, I spent a lot of, try and spend as much time as possible with my kids there, obviously before... Uh, parliamentary week, there's also a lot of other work. So I guess I was kind of focused on other matters. I think I, I, I realised maybe late in the day or on the Sunday. Mm. So you didn't feel slightly nostalgic no. at all this week that maybe there could have been a plebiscite and as the Prime Minister vehemently said, we could oh. potentially have had marriages around the country? Uh, no. I mean, you, you know in life when you make a decision and at the at the time you make the decision, you think you've made the right call, but often it's only uh, in the days ahead that you are really sure of that because mm. of how you feel. Well, on the plebiscite, I, I feel like that. Uh, I thought about it for a long time. Uh, we made the decision and not, it, since that decision was made, since the vote um, failed to pass the Senate, um, uh, I have uh, not doubted. So um, no regrets? No regrets. I have not doubted nor regretted it. So in terms of everything going forward with mm -hmm. a marriage equality bill, do you think that this parliament will be the parliament or are we going to have to wait until they change? Obviously, they'll have to change their policy on the plebiscite, but do you think it'll happen in the next two years, realistically? Oh, well, it, it can and it should. But, but do you think it will? Oh, oh, it can and it should, uh, uh, but really the answer to that lies in, in the hands of, of Malcolm Turnbull. Okay. It really does. And, and look, I'm trying to – I know that he, he know he wants to – and others in the coalition like to have a go at us about the plebiscite and play a bit of politics. So I'm really um, – I, I really am trying here to, to say let's pick up the example that's set by the committee report uh, and we need to try a different way because if we keep yelling at each other about who's 
um, got the moral high ground, mm. we're actually not going to achieve something that the majority of the parliament believe we should. Just quickly on your role as a leader of opposition in the Senate, uh, do you think? How do you think the Senate is going at the moment? Isn't it? Isn't it obstructionist Senate? I know that Labor was always very critical of Tony Abbott when he was opposition leader of of being being quite obstructionist. The Senate seems to be to use some infamous words from last year, pretty feral insofar as things aren't passing through. I don't know that um, that not that it's your objective to help the government, but... Well, we have also passed... I mean, <laughs> first, as you, you may or may not know, because, you know, I know you're a frequent visitor to the Senate, but <laughs> there's a lot of legislation that is, in fact, passed. Mm. Uh, and uh, there were a range of savings measures, for example... That did pass with agreement between um, uh, the coalition and, and the Labor Party, uh, but it, we're not going to compromise on our values, and I don't think Australians would expect us to. So, if there are savings measures put up, which which really are targeting the most vulnerable people in Australia, pensioners, single parents, uh, we aren't going to support them. And you're, that you're referring, of course, to the the omnibus bill, the omnibus yes, bill where exactly. they tied the savings to, to the, the NDIS, funding of the NDIS, which was an, you know pretty an extraordinarily cynical uh, and ultimately unsuccessful way of approaching it. Um, so I, I make no apology for Labor being obstructionist against legislation which is contrary to Labor's values and, frankly, the values of the people who put us in the Senate. Are you finding the government easy to deal with when these bills come up or are they...? Well, the government... Uh, I mean, the government has a lot... I mean, their preferred partner is One Nation. So, so their path to passing legislation is to deal with One Nation and then generally with the Nick Xenophon team. Uh, Which is the biggest voting blocks on the cross Correct. Yeah. Uh, and One Nation almost... Uh, well, uh, almost always votes with the government. Have you spoken to Cory Bernardi since he's defected from the Liberals? Has he potentially got any room to work with Labor in the, in the next year? Well... <laughs> Uh, it could be an unlikely that, alliance that would the be, that would be, Labor. <laughs> that would be very interesting, wouldn't it? Uh, uh, look, you know, I've, I've seen him around the chamber and we, we've, you know, talked professionally but I haven't kind of... I haven't really spoken Have made him any offers? No. I don't think Corey's values and Labor values <laughs> are kind of on the same page and I think he would agree with that. Okay, what's one big thing that you would like to achieve in the next year in the Senate? Is there one... I'd like us to pass marriage equality. <laughs> Other than marriage equality... How, do, how come you get to choose? I get to choose. <laughs> I think I think I think people at home could have predicted that that's that's the one you could have picked. Is there is there another thing that you wanna you wanna see happen in in the next year or just before this term of parliament's up? Oh, you know, I I, I think you know, we need we're the opposition, uh, and so we we're not able to do the things we would like to do as Labor mm. people in government, where you, where you can, you know. Uh, design policy, you can um, change, uh, you can implement an agenda um, uh, as a government. So our job is a different job, which is holding the government to account uh, and also standing up and standing against uh, the, the things we think will be harmful to Australians. Um, uh, so I hope we are successful in that. I think this is a harder Senate for that. I think the government, this is a better Senate for the government than for us. We have fewer senators and they obviously, as we've discussed earlier, have a one nation preferred partnership arrangement. So, you know, they start they start a lot closer than we do to, um, to a majority. Well, uh, I think, but more broadly, and maybe it's because it's... Um, 
you know, we've just been through the closing the gap week. It would be good, wouldn't it, if we could have more progress on closing the gap and on reconciliation and, and on constitutional recognition. And no, it's not my portfolio. It's not my portfolio. Um, but uh, I think it is really um, compelling when you read the, the report to think about how we're still failing Aboriginal people. And we've people. gone backwards. Yes, on some measures in we year, have. In the last year on we've some gone measures backwards. We have. Uh, and I, I don't want to be too partisan about it, um, uh, but I don't think the Tony Abbott uh, approach of cutting funding and, and putting it uh, uh, into a single department has been successful. And Nigel Scullion remains as Indigenous Minister. Do you think that maybe this this report shows that his time's up and it's time for someone else? You know, I quite like Nigel. Like, he's a kind of decent fellow to deal with. But I, I actually don't think he's done a good job in this portfolio. And, and it's not because he doesn't care. Uh, I don't agree with his policies, but I think he, he does actually care about these issues. But I, I don't think he's um, really achieved, uh, you know, good outcomes. So is it time for potentially an Indigenous person to be the Indigenous Minister? I think it would be a great thing for this country if we had uh, um, you know, more Indigenous people in the parliament and more Indigenous people in the executive, you know, and, and um, you know, it's great that the coalition have promoted Ken White. It's fantastic for us that we have, you know, three... Um, su we have such impressive people, um, First Peoples um, representatives in our parliament uh, from the Labor side. Uh, and, you know, it was very moving, actually, at the, uh, the caucus uh, when Pat Dodson, you know, so... Uh, Linda and Malandiri came in and, and uh, did the blessing. And did the, the blessing. The although I said to Malandiri, "You didn't get to me. I need wisdom too." <laughs> now, finally, Penny. The name of the podcast is "Is It On," which oh, is that's a bit odd. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is of course a reference to leadership spills. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> and so, is it on? I mean, other lights on, other lights off. It could mean a lot of things. Oh, it's uh, worse. <laughs> and so, our final question is always: uh, What do you think? Is it on? Are there any? Is, it, is Malcolm looking steady? Is he, is he looking weak? Is there, Everyone is, is there going to be a spill in, in oh. the Cory Bernardi party of one? <laughs> Everybody, you know, you talk to in the Liberal Party has a different answer to that question. <laughs> I think Malcolm's problem, and, I, I, you know, I dealt with Malcolm when I was climate minister. In fact, the last time we had consensus on climate policy was 2009 where he and I, or he and Rudd, but um, obviously I negotiated it with him, had an agreement on, on a cap-and-trade, on an emissions trading scheme and a whole range of other matters. Uh, and then, of course, Tony Abbott took him down. I mean, Mal Ma Malcolm's great problem is authenticity and the, is that people don't believe that he believes what he's saying. I like the woman. I like the woman. I like the woman. I like the woman. Wait, did you really give her... A cake? It was a rainbow cake, Mark. <laughs> but more importantly, um, I think that Penny Wong is under the impression that the name of our podcast, Is It On, has something to do with condoms. Because when I said it, <laughs> this look of confusion and befuddlement came across her face. And, and then I realised there's a condom campaign, which is, it's not on if it's not on. Which is an iconic line. It is an iconic line. And so now I'm really worried that Penny Wong thinks we have a podcast about condoms <laughs> and foreign affairs. I don't know. So Penny Wong, if you're listening, it's not about condoms. <laughs> it's not about condoms. It's about leadership chatter. It is. And speaking of leadership chatter, Ooh. your interview with gallery veteran Laurie Oakes is what we're going to be listening to next. 
He's your idol, isn't he, Mark? Yeah, look, I think that there's probably no better journalist in this country than Laurie Oakes. And he's been around this press gallery since 1966, an absurd amount of time. And uh, it just was the the best moment of my journalistic career. Laurie Oakes, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Um, you caused a bit of a stir in your interview with Malcolm Turnbull um, a week or two ago by using his new name. Prime what? Minister Turnbull. <laughs> <laughs> what's, the, what's the thinking of when you're trying to do that? Oh, just, just to, I suppose, put him off balance at the start a bit. Uh, and it got, a, got a nice grin out of him and I think unsettled him a bit. If he had a sort of prepared opening line, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, yeah. What's Malcolm like in terms of previous prime ministers you've talked to or interviewed? Oh, look, he's he's better than some and not nearly as good as others. I, I you know, I, I like interviewing politicians who give you something. I mean, you know, Paul Keating would always not only you know give you give you news, but he'd also what he said was said in an interesting way, a different way. He had interesting views. He was not a, not ashamed or afraid to be himself and say something that might be unpopular. Bob Hawke was pretty much the same. Even John Howard would, would you know, say something different or say something in a different way. Malcolm Turnbull's more the, the button-down type these days. He's very careful of what he says. When uh, his first time as leader, as opposition leader, I did the, the last television interview with him before he got the chop. And he was great then. He just let go and he, he sort of slagged off on everybody in the party. And uh, that was a great interview. I wish he'd do that more often. <laughs> Do you, do you actually think that he doesn't really stand for anything at the moment? Uh, you well, know? We all, I think we all thought we knew what he stood for. Uh, and as I said in that interview, I said to him, you know, it's not the Prime Minister we've seen. And we, when, when he stood up last week and said, I'm my own man, I mean, I splattered into a coffee. Because <laughs> his problem is that he isn't his own man. <laughs> yeah. What did you think about that, that, that speech, that rant? Oh, look, I, I think he had to do something. He had to sort of break the cycle. He had to you know, try and raise the morale of the troops and get his, get his own side you know, behind him again. So he needed to do that. Uh, it, I mean, it wasn't an edifying spectacle. Uh, I think the punters hate it. Uh, but he had to do it because he was in such a hole. Because mm. I'm sure a lot of people, myself included, are thinking, gosh, how does he How does he have these sources? What sort of sources are, are you getting? Is it, is it just things like scuttlebutt around Canberra? No, it's not scuttlebutt. There are always people who, who have <laughs> first-hand knowledge. I, I mean, one of my best sources years ago was it was a person in the department whose job was to shred documents. <laughs> and, uh, and every now and again he'd see one that outraged him because of the injustice it represented, so he'd forget to shred it. Uh, and, and magically it would uh, would get to me. Uh, car, Commonwealth car drivers, they hear a lot of things, and, and there are some politicians who don't treat them particularly nicely. And uh, so, so sometimes they... Uh, they, they get on they, the phone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all, all sorts of people can be sources. I mean... I don't deal in scuttlebutt. I, I deal with people who, who know what they're talking about, but I, I don't care if it's a prime minister or, or, a, or a cleaner, uh, if they're first-hand sources, uh, th- then I'm very happy to take the information. A lot of that sort of uh, exchange of information these days is moving to a- apps apps on phones, things like Confide and Wicca. Is, do yeah. you use those? No, I don't. Uh, I'd have to if I was just starting out. Yeah. But, you know, I, mean, I, I suppose my, my career is sort of <laughs> drawing to a dignified close. Um, but uh, young journalists have to do that, and that, I think, makes the job very much harder. 
we are, funnily enough, we are going to be back to the stage where you, you meet people in underground car parks like the, uh, the Watergate reporters did. And even that would be a problem now because of CCTV. It's getting much harder for journalists to meet sources, to, to, uh, for sources to contact journalists. It's, it's, it's much more dangerous for them than it used to be. And the law is tougher. Governments are willing to throw the book at people, you know, for stuff that isn't national security related but just politically embarrassing. So for journalists and their sources, it's getting tougher and tougher. And uh, you know, I think today's journalists have to be probably cleverer than my generation was. What do you think of the Malcolm Turnbull operation or the Malcolm Turnbull administration? Are they good to deal with? Oh, look, in any administration these days, there are, I mean, there, there are good people to deal with and bad people. I mean, some ministers in this government are, are really difficult and, and anti-media and some are you know, quite cooperative and helpful and uh, believe in, uh, in sharing information. It, it was the same with the, the, the Rudd government, the Gillard government. Uh, but mostly, you know, it, it depends, it, the kind of information you get depends on the ministers themselves, whether they're prepared to leak. And sometimes that depends on how much they hate each other. That's when you get the best, uh, the best leaks. I think one of the biggest stories this year clearly is the rise of Pauline Hanson. We're yep. going to obviously we're going to see WA in Queensland, maybe Queensland at the um, in twenty seventeen. Um, what, where do you think that um, this sort of Hanson phenomena sits, especially compared to you saw the rise of it in the yeah. late nineties as well? Look, I, I I don't think it's correct to say that. Today's One Nation is more sophisticated. That's, that's the wrong word. And if you, if you wanted to destroy Pauline Hanson, you'd tell her followers that she's sophisticated with <laughs> all the things they hate. But, uh, but she's certainly more experienced. Uh, I, I think she's, she's less... Uh, well, she knows more. That, that, that's the key thing. And she knows a bit more about how government operates and how parliament operates. And I, I, I think she's... In, in that sense, she's a different person, a better politician, a more useful politician... I suppose, to her own followers, but also you know, to the nation. If, if you're going to have a, a party like One Nation, it's better if you've got a leader who knows what she's on about, which Pauline didn't last time. Now, it's still a pretty fractious party. It's sort of you know, people bagging the leader and walking out and candidates get dumped. But with a small party like One Nation, you know, that, that, that's not of great to import to the nation, I, I don't think, and I don't mind that. I think what matters is, is the leader because... Her senators at the moment are following her. They're a pretty strange bunch, but at least they're following her. And in the context of her followers in the Senate, she looks remarkably stable. And uh, you think that the Liberal Party preferencing um, One Nation is a good, bad idea? Oh, it'll depend on the context. I, I suspect I've got no choice in WA. I mean, they're, they're heading over the cliff. They're, they're desperate to, uh, to save themselves. This is their one slim chance. So, of course, they're going to do it. Uh, and I, I think maybe they'll do it in Queensland. But when it comes to a federal election, then there's going to be problems. I, mean, I, I think if they keep building up One Nation by preferencing them and, preferencing them and giving them, allowing them to get seats in, in state parliament, upper houses, then eventually One Nation's going to start eating up the nationals. And the nationals know that. And they're terrified. They're worried about this. But they can't argue against the Liberals' preferencing one nation. I mean, they preference all sorts of strange people as well. Well, to that end, 18 months Malcolm Turnbull's been Prime Minister. What have you learned from his time so far? Well, I mean, what, I, what I've learned uh, is that Malcolm Turnbull um, can't do what he want, would want to do. He, he can't be his own man. So it's very sad watching him try and survive as somebody else's man. I mean, he is captive. He can't help it uh, because his party wouldn't, wouldn't cop the kinds of things we all know he believes in. 
And uh, so I think he's a sad figure. Um, I, I don't think he'll win another election, but if he does, it won't make him any less sad because he won't have won it on his terms. He won't be doing the things he wanted to do. What do you think some of those things are? Is it things like environment, social issues? Yeah, that's right. He's, he's, he's much much more uh, socially aware and, and, and uh, environmentally uh, aware than, than most of the party. I mean, John Howard used to say the Liberal Party is a broad church, but it's getting narrower and it's moving, certainly moving to the right. The, the centre of gravity in the Liberal Party is moving to the right. And then maybe Malcolm Turnbull should have actually, in that Sydney pub, should have joined the Labor Party back in the, back in the 90s. He had that chance. Yeah, I'm not sure that would have suited him either, though. It's, uh, you know, he would have still been sort of captive to you know, what, what caucus wanted. Yeah. That's not Malcolm. Malcolm Turnbull's better as a free spirit, and uh, these days it, it's pretty well impossible in politics. Paul Keating managed it. Hawkey managed it quite a bit, but uh, Malcolm hasn't. Thank you so much for joining us, Laurie. Thank you. I like Big Wama. I like Big Wama. I like Big Wama. I like Big Wama. Big Wama. And now it's time for my favourite segment, the newly rebranded Bin Juice. This is where we talk about something that maybe hasn't gotten enough media attention this week and we found it at the bottom of the bin and we're pulling it out and we're letting you know why it's important. Mark... What have you got for Bin Juice this week? Yeah, I think that this uh, piece of audio, I will put it this way, I've never been more shook by a piece <laughs> of audio in my life. That's a big call, Mark. <laughs> I know, and you know that I get really upset <laughs> really about shook. politics really all shook. the time and really shook. <laughs> but I've brought along to the podcast something that has really upset me and something that we all need to listen to. Uh, this is Peter Credlin, the former chief of staff, to Tony Abbott speaking in the final three minutes of Sunday's Sky News agenda. Here's what she had to say. Along comes a carbon tax. It wasn't a carbon tax, as you know. It was many other things in nomenclature terms. We made it a carbon tax. We made it a fight about the hip pocket and not about the environment. That was brutal retail politics, and it took Abbott about six months before he cut through, and when he cut through, Gillard was gone. Is Malcolm going to be able to take something as complex as the RET and break it down and argue it and hit the hustings and smash through all of that detail to have people come with him. That will be the political test. The person who was one of the lieutenants of uh, Tony Abbott's carbon tax scare campaign is admitting it was all based on a freaking lie. (laughs) And the reason why it's so frustrating is because we've been arguing about an emissions trading scheme or some form of carbon pricing scheme for dead set my entire, you know, uh, political conscious life. I have been so frustrated that, you know, there's been so much misinformation about this issue. What Credlin is saying is we got it to be called a carbon tax by saying it over and over and over again for six months. And once Tony Abbott broke through, Gillard was gone. To just add to that, she then went on to say it was now Malcolm Turnbull's turn to turn the renewable energy debate in this country, which is going to be the focus of, I'm sure, many more podcasts into the future. Malcolm Turnbull needs to do what Tony Abbott did to the carbon tax, which is make it about consumers and the hip pocket, not about environmentalism. But just reflect on the fact that the person who created the scare campaign of all scare campaigns, who has set back... Australia getting a carbon pricing scheme for many, many, many years admitted in the final minutes of a TV show that, yes, it wasn't a carbon tax. Okay, Alice, take us out this week. What do you have? 
I have a little story for you about interns, Mark. Okay. In the budget last year, the government proposed creating a new internship program called PATH. That's Prepare, Train, Hire for anyone. Clever name. Clever name. And you won't believe it, Mark. Capital P, lowercase a, capital T, capital H. PATH. Unique. Anyway, the internship program is for young unemployed people. It gives them the option to voluntary sign up, so they're not going to be forced to do it. They could voluntary sign up to do an internship of about 12 weeks and they'd get extra money on top of their welfare benefits. So on top of their um, dole allowance, they'd get an extra 200 bucks a fortnight. Mm-hmm. Sounds all right. Sounds good. This week, though, One Nation came out and said, we don't like this internship program. We're not going to support this legislation. So what have the government done? So the government have done something a bit sneaky and said, well, we're going to make the internship program start in April anyway. We don't care that One Nation, Labor and the Greens don't support it. And they can do that. They can do that, but you know what it means? What does it mean? Without the legislation, the people doing these internships are going to be 50 bucks a fortnight worse off. So rather than getting that extra 200 bucks on top of their dole payments, they're going to get 150 or 120. 170, so basic, depending on how much their welfare payments get taxed. So so what's happening is the government is, is holding this over their heads of those that wouldn't actually vote for the legislation and saying, look, they're going to get paid less unless you vote this through. Absolutely. So the government are staring Labor and the Greens and the crossbench, especially the Nick Xenophon team, directly in the eye and saying, you don't want to vote this through? Well, it'll be your fault that young people are going to be 50 bucks worse off under this program. That is super sneaky. It is some sneaky blackmail after we've already talked about them linking welfare cuts to the NDIS this week. There's another sneaky manoeuvre happening in the Senate that unfortunately no one's really talking about, Mark. Yeah, and I think it also plays into this whole thing with the government is it's so... Um, caught up with this Senate. The Senate really is stopping everything the government does. So the government is trying any trick in the playbook to get legislation through um, and they'll stop at nothing. They will stop at nothing. And that brings me to the final question of this podcast. Mark, is it on? You know what, Alice? I don't think it's on. This is the end for episode two. Go to buzzfeed.com slash is it on or you can subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And please, please, please be like Daria's 82-year-old grandmother and leave us a review. And send us stuff. And hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Workman Alice. You're at Mark to Steph. And to take us out this week, (laughs) we thought we'd just get a little bit of wisdom from a former Australian politician. You know, he he was our Donald Trump. The billionaire who turned into an MP. So, so what, what have you got from Clive Palmer, Mark? Yeah, uh, people might not know that Clive Palmer is very, very active on Twitter at the moment and he's deciding to tweet poetry. This is one from earlier this week. Climb the ladder of hope. Climb the ladder of love. Celebrate the ocean of peace. Thank you, everyone, for listening. 